Oh, hey. Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. It's time, Stephen, to talk about Super Monkey Ball, Banana Mania, for the Nintendo oh, Switch. Thank you. I'm just jumping right into it. <laughs> Spooky season is upon us. Yeah. And you know what that means. Banana Mania. The, the main character of Yakuza is stuck in a ball. <laughs> And the only way to get out is for him to eat as many bananas as possible in the abyss. I was considering for a spooky season stream, just getting the Suezo Monster Rancher DLC and just playing <laughs> Monkey Ball as Suezo and naming the stream, like just hanging out and having that be the, the horror stream. Yeah. my One of my favorite Twitch streams I've ever done is before the show. But one of my favorite streams I ever did was I think it was the day Metal Gear Solid 5 came out. And I would I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit to drink and I was like, you know, it would be funny if I also streamed Metal Gear Solid 5, really promoted it all day. Like, I'm going to do this. And I got on stream and I played through Had a Full Boyfriend, that pigeon dating simulator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As if it was Metal Gear Solid 5. And it's lost to time. I wish I could find that video because uh, I don't really remember how it went. I'm going to be honest. Uh, but it was great. It was a fun time. Everyone, we, we, had, we had a good time there. Anyway, tell me about Super Monkey Ball. Banana Mania. I'm very excited. Uh, so this is basically like a remaster collection. The way it was marketed was very well, I should say. I think I bought it because I just saw it a lot. It's also worth noting, I have a ton of nostalgia for these games. The first Super Monkey Ball on the GameCube was like maybe like an eighth of my life in like latter middle school, early high school. Yeah. If I ever had a friend over, like we chased the evening with Monkey Ball in some way, whether it was the totally. main game. Yeah. The party games, the mini games, like monkey billiards. Uh -huh. I, I played the shit out of that game. Nothing was left. It, I, the game just disappeared at a certain point in my <laughs> early adulthood. <laughs> I didn't play two or three, uh, but then I did get Banana Blitz on the Wii. I'm a Banana Blitz apologist. Yeah. I thought like that game got like fine reviews. Really, really cool single player. So for those who don't know, the main game of Monkey Ball is essentially like a tilt puzzle where... With the control stick, or if you're playing Banana Blitz, which you should, the Wiimote, uh, you are tilting the level and the monkey you have chosen as your vessel is stuck in a plastic mm -hmm. ball and it has to reach the goal. Really simple, really yeah. fun. On top of that, there's also like multiplayer. So the original game, uh, the three multiplayer modes were Monkey Race, which was kind of like Mario Kart. It was like pretty solid, honestly. I yeah. liked their view of Mario Kart items in the world of Monkey Ball. So like one item, you what just- What were they? So there was, you know, the classic banana peel- there was like a bomb or something. But okay, my favorite yeah. was you could throw like a D20 at another monkey and then their ball became like a 20-sided dice. So it was like bouncing all over the place because it had all these oh, like rough edges to it. Great. Yeah. Uh, monkey target was my favorite though because you went down this ramp and then parachuted and you had to land like on the right spot. Mm. In like a giant target floating in space. Is that what you're, is that, is that how that worked? Um, In like the ocean. It was like a, a nautical great. monkey cool. target. Oh yeah. So that, that's, that's catnip for you too then yeah exactly i also liked monkey golf because you golfed yourself so like you would see like oh yeah you would see baby which is one of the characters like with the putter just like let's see if i if i hit myself this much i should be able to get a, a bar on this one it was great that was my own narration i provided the game but anyway so is that all in the original Super Monkey Ball? Like yeah, this is I'm, I'm talking about the original right now. This is all Monkey Ball. Okay, one. and this was on GameCube. Yeah, 
Okay. I have no I have no connection to Super uh, Monkey Ball, like literally at all. I have like nothing. Like I, I know it exists <laughs> and I've seen like videos of it and I have never once played any of them. It, it was it was I, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of nostalgia here, but it was easily like one of the best. I have people over. Let's do something. And when, you know, at that yeah. age. So when they announced Banana Mania, which is essentially a remastered collection of like the best levels of or at least what they consider the best of mm-hmm. one through three. Uh-oh. And then like a bunch of party games, like all in one place in the Switch. I just thought that was yeah. a great idea. I need a monkey ball back in my life. And honestly, totally. I don't know. Like, I know that there are plenty of multiplayer games on the Switch, but like I needed something like this that wasn't the $60 Mario Party I had that has four levels. Like I wanted something, <laughs> you know, if people are over, we can play something. So I, I was very excited for this. Yeah. And then, you know, they had this bizarre marketing campaign of like the main character of Yakuza is one of the monkey ball characters. Uh, Sonic <laughs> and Tails are in there. Uh Beat from Jet Set Radio, a game that has not seen the light of day in decades. <laughs> <laughs> and then Swayzo from Monster Rancher, which is especially bizarre because I don't think that's Sega. I don't know why he's showing up. Is it not? You know? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is now. Maybe they're trying to like get people hyped for Monster Rancher. Yeah, who knows? But Monster Rancher is something that I just say out loud every now and then like as an esoteric thing. And it's yeah. like becoming a thing again, which is bizarre. It's like punctuation at the end of a sentence saying Monster <laughs> Rancher. Like, there's, there's really nothing you can do after somebody brings up Monster Rancher or Swayzo. <laughs> it was tough learning German because the Monster Rancher is assumed. You don't have to say it. It really threw me off. <laughs> Guten Tag, Swayzo. No, you don't have to say it. You're going to look like a square in Berlin, dude. They also added consoles as playable characters, which I really appreciate. Oh, yeah, you can play as the Dreamcast. <laughs> I love <laughs> which that. Which I think is a joke you and I made for the Smash roster like three years ago. Yeah. So anyway, Cosmic Connection to Banana Mania. We're here. <laughs> and it's really fun. There's really not too much to say about it. Like, I will say this. I was I was expecting it to be like, here's just all the games in one place. But what the main game is, is sort of like just a mashup with like, you know, a a new interpretation of it. Okay. So, so it's not Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It's not like you open it up and it's like, OK, here's Super Monkey Ball. Here's Banana Blitz. Yeah, I wanted I kind of wanted Monkey Ball Legendary Edition, but we got Banana Mania. Instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. But like main game's fun. There are weird difficulty spikes because they like pick and shows levels from all three games. Like there isn't that flow that you would get from like one, two or three where like it gradually gets more difficult. Like you'll yeah. just be playing and suddenly it's like this whole level is a roulette machine. <laughs> it's like this is level five, man. I haven't played this game in 20 years. You're assuming a lot <laughs> of my monkey ball finesse. But it's cool. I will say the party game stuff feels a little bit tacked on. Like I, I played through a lot of the different party modes and like the graphics feel kind of like I'm not here to judge the graphics of Banana Mania, but like it's noticeable where things are kind of just slapped together. Like Monkey Target feels a little bit like unfinished in some ways. Oh, wow. OK. But there are some really good ones. I love billiards. I love baseball because in baseball, if you're the pitcher, you throw yourself at yeah. the bat. Incredible. So it's cool. It's all also only $40, I think. So like I'm sure this will be on sale at one point, too. If you 
have a nostalgia for the series like I do. I think it's nice to have it on Switch. There's also like a lot of love with the menus and like a lot of the characters we mentioned like Kiryu and Beat, you unlock, like there's a lot of in-game missions and you unlock coins that you can just buy them. So like, I believe the Dreamcast Swayzo, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. The Dreamcast Swayzo and Morgana are DLC, but a lot of the other characters that were marketed, you can just like unlock by playing. Um, and they're pretty generous. Like I've already unlocked like half the the characters and I've only played for like a couple hours. So yeah, it's good. I mean, I think that like I don't know if it's something that if you missed, you like have to experience. I think you'll like get it. Yeah. But I do think there's a place for this kind of like arcadey party game that doesn't take itself too seriously. It's just like a joyous time. So I, I'm enjoying it for what it's worth. I definitely think it's a bit of like a I want to turn my brain completely off scenario. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's definitely like serving a role for me. Weirdly, I think it might be more of a I'm turning my brain off solo experience as opposed to the like party game mode that I kind of wanted it to be. But I definitely think if I have someone over, we will play uh, baseball where you have to pitch yourself. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, th- I think I think next time you have people over and if you try playing it, I think maybe your opinion will change. Not that I know anything because I haven't played this, but like I have, I have a feeling you would just slot right back into having fun again, if I were to guess. I think you're absolutely right. I think having friends over, it will rejuvenate my interest in those modes. I've been playing, uh, well, we're going to talk about it later but i've been playing resident evil village again uh and and i'm like Mm. i've now experienced the labyrinth ball physics puzzle in that game so many times it's very similar it's very similar to that like i don't even need monkey ball in my life because i i have resident (laughs) evil village ball uh which is going great because at the end of every level i don't unlock coins i unlock a skull encased in a different precious gemstone uh so you know then i sell it to my friend the dude weirdly though that is actually just like banana mania you get the same thing for beating the level <laughs> and you still just, sell it uh, to duke <laughs> yeah <laughs> duke sells you the main character from <laughs> once you get the crystal and the skull thank you uh that's cool monkey ball it's on the yeah. switch it's fun this is the least like I, I really don't have too much to say about it, but I'm having a great yeah. time. That's really all it is. That's all it should be. Yeah, I, I saw this release like purely as a play for people who enjoyed the old games, which like is great. Like that's that's kind of the dream. It's kind of what you want, you know, and the fact that you're like, I got it and it's the thing you want. That's great. That's like all the review needs to be in that case, really. You know? Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Sonic and Tails are in it. They're also in the animated trailer for the game, which is very funny. Like That's it's weird. Yeah. I, I and all the monkeys like running around and Sonic and Tails are like getting lunch in the background. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I guess we should also do this. We're not doing anything else. We're going to do Sonic Forces 2. You kidding me? We'll go to Monkey Ball. Sega is so weird right now. <laughs> yeah. They are trying. I feel like they are like making a like Smash Brothers like collection of all their IP. Yeah. It is kind of funny when you play as um, I, I, I unlock beat from jet set radio and instead of bananas there are just cans of spray paint around the level so like oh that's cool there are some changes uh when you play as different characters but yeah it is like bizarre to see them all in one place yeah um there's even like they do that a lot like i think in uh I think in Sonic Forces, uh, you could get like Joker's mask for Sonic, which is just sure. a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of crossover for me. Great. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. There was that whole Tokyo Game Show thing where Sega had like three days of announcements and they, I think, have all passed at this point. And I didn't hear anything. So I don't know. Yeah. I watched that event for 20 minutes and it was the protagonist of Lost Judgment dancing for like a good <laughs> 15 of those. True. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating at all. 
I loved watching it. Yeah. That's why I stuck around, but I didn't learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> Except that the, the, the protagonist of Lost Judgment can dance. He could, yeah, pretty well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, should, should we move on? Only, only thing I'll say about Banana Mania is that the music isn't quite as good. And I say that because the music in the monkey ball games I have played is like surprisingly great. Mm. I thought that's a Sega thing. A lot of Sega games just have great soundtracks like always. Yeah. But I remember like when I DM'd a and d campaign I played for like years, we were in this like volcanic area and I used this song and everyone was like, this is so cool. What is it? I'm like, this is monkey ball. Dude. This is from <laughs> banana blitz. It's it, but it's perfect D and D music. It was for like the lava world and it fits so perfectly. That's really good. Anyway. So yeah, but it's, it's a good time. Uh, but anyway, you you had some stuff you wanted to bring to the table in this like quick this yeah. stuff we're playing section. I have a bunch of things. I, I think I think the the one I'll start with just like uh, on the uh, the offset is uh, is Jet the Far Shore, which I've been hyping up yeah. for like a couple months uh, since it was announced. So Jet the Far Shore is a game by Super Brothers, uh, which is like just one guy. As far as I can tell, his name is Craig. Hey, Craig. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, the thing about Super Brothers is their first game dropped in 2011, I think published by Capybara Games uh, at the time. And it was called Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP. And it was specifically made for uh, iOS devices. So at the time, that was uh, that was iPhones and iPad. And that game was a pretty big deal for a lot of people, uh, yeah. me included. I've, I've talked about this on the show. We did our Games of the Decade episode. I brought it up then, but I'll say again now, uh, Sword and Sorcery EP was like the reason I started making music for video games. The like thing that got me back into playing video games in a very big way. You know, I was I was kind of playing like the hits as it were, you know, like Skyrim was that year. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play Skyrim. You know, what is everyone's playing Skyrim. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but <laughs> Sword and Sorcerer EP was like, holy shit, games can be something different than what I know they can be. Um, yeah. And was spectacular. And and the big thing about Sword and Sorcerer EP, I, I think just brilliantly at the time, because it was so early, was every line of dialogue was 140 characters or less. So you could at any time touch the dialogue and then just tweet it out. Uh, so you could like, there was this like weird burgeoning community of people online who are all playing sword and sorcery EP at the same time. And you could like see how far people were, uh, just by like, you know, searching the hashtag and stuff and, and seeing the dialogue all over the place. And it was like complete nonsense. Like if you didn't know what the game was, it would be like, why is this person tweeting about cosmic friends forever? Like really confusing <laughs> shit. Um, but the big thing about it was like the game was kind of conceived of as, um, I almost said space opera, but it's more like fantasy. It's more like high fantasy. So it's kind of like a fantasy opera kind of thing. Uh, The soundtrack by Jim Guthrie was like hugely influential to me and a lot of people. And and the game was kind of designed around the soundtrack and the soundtrack around the game in a very like symbiotic way and just made for this like really incredible package. And I loved it at the time. And in anticipation for Jet the Far Shore dropping, I actually went and played Sword and Sorcery EP again um, recently because it was $2 on the Switch the other oh, wow. day. Yeah. It was like, uh, yeah, okay. I would love to revisit <laughs> a game that I consider life-changing uh, for $2. That sounds great. I'll say this much. I don't know if I like the Switch port as much. I actually think the best place to play it right now, if I were to guess, is maybe on PC and Mac. Uh, I think just like being yeah. able to like point and click because it's kind of a point and click adventure game is the way to go. I don't want to say too much about what the game is about uh, outside of like it holds up really well. And if you haven't played it, I would recommend playing it. One of the beautiful things about it, I think one of the things that like really stuck with me at the time and still works really well is 
it's split up into small chunks. Um, it's split up into like 30 to 40 minute increments. So the way it works is there's like a there's a guy. He's like an exposition dump guy. Uh, think like um, <laughs> the architect from the Matrix kind of vibes. Oh, I see. Stands there and just kind of like dumps exposition at you and is like, hey, just a heads up. Like, I don't want you to sit here and play this game all day. Like, I want you to like sit here, play for 30 minutes and then move on with your day and think about it a little bit and then come back later, you know, in a couple of days and try it again. Um, so they're like very upfront with you about like how often they want you to play the game and for what kinds of periods of time they want you to like engage with it, which is still very cool. That is still like a really yeah. great experience. It's very much a like, uh, I would say, horror twinged version of a legend of zelda game uh as a point and click adventure which i think a lot of people don't really like i I think if you just like were to go look at the marketing you wouldn't really know that that was the vibe but it is uh really a spectacular thing still works very well um i don't want to say much more than that without giving away outside of like if you haven't played it you should check it out but i'm glad i replayed it before starting jet if you hop onto our youtube right now i have the first bit of jet the far shore up it has been as we said uh 10 years since the last game that they made came out so this is kind of a big deal for me i was like really looking forward to it yeah the reviews were middling i would say like middling to positive somewhere in that vicinity uh, a lot of the conversations I saw about it were like there's a lot of incredible ideas in here that are kind of bogged down by like frustrating controls and the pacing isn't as strong which I've already noticed in my time with it and I don't want to talk too much about this game yet until I've finished it I think I want to come back to the show and like do a proper segment on it when I'm done with it sure but I did want yeah. to bring up like the game is out I am playing it the first uh, chapter of it because also broken up like sword and sorcery ep into chapters the first chapter of it is 30 minutes long i streamed it the other day it's on our youtube i like if you're not gonna play this game go watch that but i recommend playing it if you have a playstation 5 because it is like maybe some of the best 30 minutes of video game that i've played this year it is like shocking it is moving it is beautiful it feels to me like uh like an art house movie that you get to play through as a video game it is like unbelievable what is accomplished in those 30 minutes uh i had kept seeing tweets from people that were like oh yeah the opening of this game is really spectacular like until you hit the title screen and uh i having seen all those tweets was like okay you know like this is hyping it up a little bit too much for me i wonder if it'll really like nail it and it like extremely does it is unbelievable and i kind of don't want to say more than that until i've played more of it but i will say the next chapter after that is two hours long instead of 30 minutes and even that by itself is asking a lot of the player yeah going from a 30 minute session to saying like you need to set aside two hours to play this is like a huge jump and uh kind of gets closer to what i've seen in some of the reviews i think but that's jet that's jet the far shore i'll bring it back i'm gonna bring it back to the show because i i I feel like i have to finish it yeah I really loved watching the first hour just to add my two cents to that opening being as good as it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. They're doing a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, long story short, you're a per- you're playing as a person named May who has to go to space with a group of people. Um, and I kind of don't want to say more than that outside of like it's going after similar themes to Sword and Sorcery EP. So if you have played that game and you're like, I wonder what like narrative fodder this game is uh, kind of carving out. Uh, it's very similar to what Sword and Sorcery was doing. Uh, just told in a kind of more like sci-fi uh, space opera epic way than Sword and Sorcery EP, which is a little bit more of like a solitary uh, Legend of Zelda kind of thing, which um, is interesting. And they both work very well and are both very effective at getting kind of the same point across. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see where it lands, because at the moment it feels 
very very sad it feels very it feels like a huge bummer at the moment this whole game and <laughs> and i'm wondering if it's gonna stay a bummer the whole time or not so <laughs> i'll uh, i'll bring it back to the show at some point and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more because I, I do think like finishing the narrative of this is going to really like color my overall thoughts of it but that said jet the far shore it's out now it's on ps5 i, I think it might be on ps4 as well I might be wrong about that, but as far as I know, it's on PS5 and it works very well with the DualSense controller for the PlayStation 5. Some other stuff I wanted to bring up really quick, just because yeah. I don't know, I have, I have had like a, I'm not going to lie, I've, I've had a, a rough couple weeks in my life. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say that doing the show and like having kind of a regimented schedule of like being able to put time aside for myself to play video games and stuff has been really good for me. And I took some strange chances on some mobile games published by Square Enix recently. <gasps> so one of the big things for me, and you and I talked about this when they announced it, but uh, Square Enix announced the pixel remasters of the Final Fantasy games, um, yeah. I think over the summer, and then started releasing them like slowly one at a time. And at this point, I think they've released up through four. And I think Ooh. five is anticipated to come out at some point this month. And then I think six, maybe next month or December. Um, and then that'll be it. That'll be the collection. Uh, and they hit iOS and Android and I believe PC first and maybe consoles eventually. I don't think they've announced that, but like I think it's kind of assumed that they'll drop on Switch or something at some point. But for now, they're on mobile devices and PC. And I was really like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say I was just uninterested in this as a thing, like honestly, because I feel like there are so many good ways of playing these games that exist all over yeah. the place that I didn't know if I needed like you know, a, a 15 to $20 version of a thing that I can already go pick up. <laughs> really uh, bizarre marketing. Yeah. Other than like one and two, you can, well, I guess one, two and three, three has the 3DS yeah. remake, but that's hard to find. So one to right. three is good, but everything else. Yeah, exactly. So there, there are in that collection of one through six, there are certain games that are like hard to find a definitive version of. I think, I think yeah. you're right. I think it's two and three specifically are like, kind of like lost to time in a way it's like kind of hard to find a good version of that one to play so it's cool that those exist and it seems like like the fans are like pretty stoked about those existing and and like them a lot i am very much anticipating six dropping because i mm -hmm. that's like the final fantasy game of that era that i really want to play like for real for real it's a good i one. have the game boy advance one like i could do that but i feel like this pixel remaster is going to be like maybe the way to do it we'll see when it drops yeah but in anticipation of that i was like i do want to check one of these out i want to see what this is like because i think I, I it's kind of strange that like neither of us have decided to check this out i just feel like <laughs> the, the final fantasy pixel remasters like should be a bigger deal than they are in a way and you cannot and, choose two people like like most susceptible to this as you know like it's like it's yeah. just a testament to how the marketing was so off that like you and <laughs> i both are like eh, you know right i play a lot of games on my phone like, i i bought both for Tifa like I'm yes. I'm in you know yeah exactly yes <laughs> I yeah I I was like I should take a chance on one of these I should I should yeah. see what this is all about so I did it I paid $18 to play Final oh. Fantasy 4 pixel remaster on my iOS device <laughs> which is which is a strange thing because not only do I have Final Fantasy 4 on my Nintendo DS I also have the Nintendo DS version on my phone because that used to be an app that you could go download as well. Um, I, th I think actually maybe you still can. I think I think that's still available on the iOS store. But anyway, I, I have this game twice already and I was like, let me try it in this like Pixel Remaster version, see how I feel because I kind of wanted a comparison point for it. Yeah, I'll say this much about the Pixel Remasters. They are very, very good. They like did a great job. That's good and to hear. I am 
surprised that I'm not seeing more about it. I think you in particular would really like it. Mm. That said, like, I don't know which of these is going to be your thing. The thing about the Pixel Remasters is like, they look great, obviously. Like, if you go and compare this game to the original four, like this, I think that this looks better. The UI still has some weird issues. I think everybody has pointed out that the font like clashes in a big way with the the pixel art. You can, if you play this game on PC specifically, there are people who have already modded in different fonts and stuff that you can go check out that like keep it more in line with the art which is you know a good move but on mobile my thought was like i would love to just dip in and out of this game on mobile they have a very generous quick save feature so you can just like save and bail at any moment oh, perfect. Um, and for the past like week ish i have been dipping in and out of final fantasy 4 and i've gotten much further than i've ever gotten in that game already uh just by nature of it being on my phone not being the 3d nintendo ds remake which has you know like kind of long drawn out cutscenes, which are good i actually like that game a lot and i have talked about it on the show like I think it's pretty good but something about it being the pixel versions is like really working for me in a way that the 3D yeah. uh, one did not for some reason I don't really I can't explain that difference this is just appealing to me more at the moment for me I think it's like the DS remakes are a very fun interpretation of the pixel art like we talk about um how FF7 remake like really nails what like everyone kind of filled in the blanks for with the original FF7 FF Four's DS remake is like it, it's it's cool to see it said out loud. Like if you have a really strong attachment to four, like it's fun to hear and see it presented that way. But you know, it's not as definitive as like the FF Seven remake is, nor is it really trying to be. Um, yeah. I also think subjectively, I prefer the pixel sprites to the sort of like chibi three D models. Mm, yeah. It's not like Bravely Default Nightmare territory, but like there's just something timeless about the sprites that you know you can't top really. Yeah, the thing that's I think a, a good point to drill down on because I was expecting you know because the sprites are the sprites. Like go Google what Final Fantasy Four looks like from a sprite perspective, and like it's not like the character. Characters are like hyper detailed and like look like cool badasses or whatever, you know, like the main <laughs> character is a dark knight and like he doesn't look cool, really. Uh, and the, right. the 3D version on the Nintendo DS like doesn't really help that at all. You know, like the chibi version of him like kind of also looks goofy. So like I've never yeah. seen a version of this character that like looks like cool and interesting except for the box art for the game. That said, there is something about the like really, really, really reduced fidelity of the pixel versions that kind of makes your imagination go into overdrive when reading the text from the characters, right? Like the 3D versions almost take one step further than I would want in terms of like allowing me to fill in the blanks in terms of what I think Mm -hmm. this area looks like, who these people are, what they look like, et cetera, et cetera. The pixel versions, I think being so abstract in a way actually aids the overall sense of like, tone and character and i and i i feel like i understand these people more now than i ever have which is a really bizarre thing and and i think just speaks volumes to both the original version of this game that that dropped you know forever ago and also this pixel remaster that like has perfectly recaptured that the other thing that's worth mentioning about the pixel remasters the music is unbelievable the music is like shocking it's not like running the uh nes original orchestrated like midi stuff like it is like full symphonic orchestra shit rearrangements of all of the music from final fantasy 4 and it hits it is like really really good so 
just like overall, the Pixel remasters, very good package. My my little gripe, I think, is that uh, it doesn't have controller support, so I can't use the backbone with it. But honestly, uh, I haven't really had an issue with that. The way it controls, there are two ways that it controls. One of them is, you know, on-screen analog stick, which isn't bad. I actually have found it to be really uh, pretty good. The other version of it, which I use more, is the like Fantasian adjacent, like you can tap on the screen and then your character just oh. walks there, which uh, is really good for this game like for this kind of game this is perfect so overall really good package i think like this is just me i don't i don't we we try very hard to like not make this kind of judgment on the show but like for me i think it's a little bit too expensive like i think 17 dollars, which i think is on sale right now i think it's supposed to be 20 for each like i think that's a little bit too much but that said, I, I, I'm having a really good time with it, and I'm probably going to keep playing it uh, in anticipation of six, which is like the one that I really want to play. I think I'm like I, I got this kind of as a way for me to judge if six was going to be like good or not as a pixel remaster, because if I played four remastered and was like, oh, shit, this is not great. Like then I could just hop into the Game Boy version of six uh, and and have a great time. So I am going to hold out until six drops sometime next month or in December. And I'm excited to see how that goes. But I think yeah. I think for you specifically, if you have the feeling like I want to revisit one of the like one through six Final Fantasy games, I do think this is the way to go right now if you want that kind of experience. Yeah, I might pick up four. I think you sold me on it because I think last year I played four and brought it to the show on a whim because I hadn't played yeah. it in a long time. I have the Super Nintendo copy. It says Final Fantasy two on it. That yeah, was back amazing. when they had different number sequences. But yeah, I mean, not to get too into four again because we do have an episode on it. But um, that really is where Final Fantasy kind of found its voice. Like that's like the Dragon Quest three. Yeah. And I think it really holds up. Like we play a lot of old RPGs. That game is from 1991 and the pacing and the guidance of it like are pretty great. Like, you know, there's some stuff you might bump up against, but like for a game from 1991, it's as esoteric as RPGs from 2006. Like I run into the same (laughs) issues in both. And, and four, I think is really great. Cause I think that like as time passes, I, I almost put four and six on, almost equal footing like six Mm. has the really big ensemble and the really great world like i think the setting of six is really what like puts it high for me you know and there's the classic like world of balance world of ruin stuff that's like still something games like shoot for you know dragon quest 11 being one of them right but uh four is really personal and it's about you know Cecil's redemption from you know it, it literally opens with the are we the baddies sketch where like he's on like yeah. <laughs> an airship with like a skull helmet and he's like I'm having second thoughts about this um <laughs> but the story is still pretty rich I mean like you know it, it, yeah. it's 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 a game that sort of defined the tropes that we now see so like you can kind of forgive it for that um, yeah but there's enough surprises along the way that like you will get swept up in it like it is very whimsical it's very infectious it's a great time yeah it's goofy in ways i was expecting to yes like i i've been really surprised at like how silly the game is because it's it's dealing with some really heavy shit it uh, is yeah i mean I, as you were saying like you start off on an airship like literally bombarding an innocent village and then stealing their crystal wow uh but you're stealing like all the <laughs> elemental crystals and bringing them back to this like evil king who lives in a castle called baron so like you know <laughs> just in case you didn't get it 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty hardcore. It's like not you are the villain <laughs> at the beginning. And yet, like sometimes in the middle of the night, you'll be at a village and you'll go and there'll be a person behind like a shop and you'll be like, hey, what's your deal? And they'll be like, I love to dance. And then they'll do like a little dance yes, routine. Uh, you know, like it's great. It's really good. I'm, I'm getting kind of everything I want. I think the big thing for me about it, I didn't expect to talk so long about Final Fantasy four, but it's good. I'm always the, the thing that's like really striking me about it is we've had this conversation, I think, off the show because I tried playing through Dragon Quest one, two, three on the switch because they're all available. The big thing that I have learned about myself is I don't really enjoy the style of old RPG where you are in a village and like you see the sprites of the village. And when you leave the village, it's like your sprite on this big overworld that like me is like a little pixel dude walking around this big overworld. I always get lost. I never know where I'm supposed to go. Mm. I always need to bring up a guide from GameFAQs from 1996. Like <laughs> I'm never having a good time and like feeling like I intuitively know where I'm supposed to be going. And a lot of the a lot of the games from that era, their whole thing is like, oh, you have to talk to every person in the town or else you won't know where to go, which like that doesn't feel like it's respecting my time. Also, like yeah. I, I, I am curious enough to talk to most people in a town, but like if I just happen to miss the one person who's like in the attic of the bar or something and they're the person who's like you should go north by northeast to get to the cave that has <laughs> this gem in it like that's that's not fun you know like that's like objectively not a fun time um, yeah. Final Fantasy 4 weirdly enough every single time I, le- I I usually don't know where I'm going like I, I have an idea of where the place I'm supposed to go is so I'll be like oh go to this cave go to this waterfall go to this island whatever every time I go out into the overworld I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go in but the first direction I pick is the right one. And I don't know if that's like just complete luck on my end, but I'm starting. It's happened enough now where I'm starting to think that it's just like, oh, by the time they got around to the fourth entry of this series, they like figured out what players are going to do and have anticipated that and put the thing that is next in your list of objectives in the place that you expect it to be. And that's been really cool. That's been like really cool. And now I have an airship. So I'm like flying over the ocean and stuff. Oh, you're far. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's really good. I, I found it way more intuitive than most games of that era, and I'm enjoying it way more than I was expecting. That's the most surprising thing about it. Again, it's from 1991. It's crazy that it's like yeah. as just seamless as it is, you know? Yeah. I, I really love the pacing of that game. That's what really stood out to me playing it now, because like, you know, most RPGs, it takes two hours for you to like see your home in right. ashes and then you head out. But in this game, it's like, no, you're just you're in it. You know, hour one, you've already done like a season of a tv show um, yeah yeah which is great so it's really good and i i think what prevents it from feeling rushed is the fact that it's like the pixel style because like it's a interpretation of a story you know like i think there's something about mm. like yeah because you have to fill in the blanks you're only given so much you are also giving like more weight to certain moments whereas if they were like fully voice acted it would feel maybe hammier or like more abrupt if yeah. that makes any sense yeah Totally. I I know there's a remake of this game on the PSP, which I think a lot of people say, like, is the actual definitive version of Final Fantasy four. So if you if you have access to to that, like maybe go play that. But I want I was considering that because, I mean, I've talked about this a lot. I have like a hacked Vita. I have. I have ways of playing it. I was considering playing that version of it because I kept seeing that refrain a lot. And and at the end of the day was like, I just like the idea of having it on mobile on iOS. Like maybe it'll get updated one day, uh, which is actually the next thing I want to get into. But who knows? Like for now, this is, I think, the most convenient way to play Final Fantasy four. And that's why I wanted it. 
and uh, yeah. it's really good. And I'm excited for six now in a way that I uh, was kind of hesitant, I, I would say, before this week. I think you'll enjoy it. I think that six, you know, in this sort of like trifecta of classic Square RPGs, which I would say like Chrono Trigger, FF4, and FF6 are like, to me, the peak. Mm. Trigger and four feel pretty modern. You know, they feel like for what you expect, that they feel pretty yeah. seamless. Like you're able to figure out where to go. Six does feel like, like I, I haven't played it in a while, but I remember feeling a little bit more like I had to look at a guide because the world is yeah. bigger and they want yeah. you to explore more. It bumps into that a little bit more from what I remember, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. But yeah, I'm very excited. There's also apparently like a very unhinged sequel to four that is either on the PSP or maybe even mobile, but it's it like, is on mobile. There's yeah. a whole like four, two, four, three, like under the, like, I feel like a lot of the hits of Final Fantasy get sequels and spinoffs and like four has them, but they're very, like, you have to be in the know. I feel to get them <laughs> yeah wait i i want to bring it up because it's uh they have it as a bundle that you can get on ios right now oh uh, wow it's called final fantasy 4 the after years yeah right it sounds like a reunion that's yeah, great very strange what's funny too is like the bundle that exists right now for that is you get the 3d nintendo ds remake of, of final fantasy 4 and then you get the after years which is this like almost i would say ps1 looking kind of take on sprites for that game and i have no idea what it's about or what the deal is but <laughs> who knows maybe one day if i finish four i'll bring that to the show i think that'd be very silly uh after years 10 hour bonus yeah that sounds yeah. good anyway weird for me to be bringing a final fantasy game to the show but that said let me just like kind of realign the universe because the next thing i'm gonna talk about is dragon quest real quick uh <laughs> I picked up, you know, while I was sitting here, like looking for games to play on my phone, uh, I picked up Dragon Quest Eight Mobile, which is a game that you and I've talked about a lot. I'm not going to talk a lot about like Dragon Quest Eight as a video game outside of you and I played it a bunch on 3DS. Uh, It was originally a PS2 game. It is available on mobile. Square Enix released it uh, along with, I think, all of the other Dragon Quest games. It's one through eight, except for seven. Seven's the only one they don't have on mobile for some reason, which is very strange. Uh, That is also available for 3DS. But they released all of them, and... Contrary to the Final Fantasy games, and you can tell it's like different teams working on this stuff. All the Dragon Quest games are in portrait mode instead of landscape. So you can like hold your phone normally uh, and you can just control yeah. with like a digital analog stick or whatever. You know what I mean? And run around the world, which like works really well for the pixel ones, right? Like you played through five. I played through a bunch of five on mobile also. And it yeah. like is good. Like it controls really well. And I was really yeah, curious what eight would feel like on mobile because I have regrets like moving on from eight because I liked it so much on 3DS and thought if I'm enjoying Final Fantasy four this much on my phone because it's on my phone, maybe having it all the time and available and I like even put the app on my home screen would be the thing that would get me back into Dragon Quest eight and would allow me to play it more often in more situations, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing about Dragon Quest eight mobile And I I just want to say this in case you are interested in the game and don't have a 3DS and don't have a way to play it or you don't have a PS2 also and can't play that version either. The thing about Dragon Quest VIII Mobile is that it is really, really, really good and is like surprising, I would say, uh, that it works as well as it does. There are some caveats, but if it's the only way to play it, it's definitely the way to play it. Specifically, the music is the MIDI stuff instead of the orchestrated stuff you get on the 3DS. There is no voice acting which is kind of a big deal, I think, because yeah. not being able to hear Yangus is a huge bummer. <laughs> uh, it's a deal breaker for me. The biggest thing for me, this this actually was the deal breaker for me. Uh, the overworld doesn't have the monsters 
roaming around. It's random, oh. random encounter battles uh, in the mobile version, yeah. and that that was the the like the the eject button for me. I started playing it. I was like amazed at how well it worked. It feels really good, but that that bit in particular, like that, is the thing that makes me love Dragon Quest Eight and the the remake of Seven that they have on 3DS as well, and then you know obviously Eleven down the line is like being able to see and avoid monsters if I don't want to get into a battle right now, but. Uh, you know, or being able to specifically point out a monster and be like, that is the one I want to fight of all the ones that are around here uh, is really great. I think it adds like a whole layer to the game that is very much missing in the mobile version. That said, again, if you don't have a way to play the 3DS version or the PS2 version and you want to play a Dragon Quest game and like maybe don't want to dive into 11 on Switch or whatever, like there is a world in which this is the Dragon Quest game that you should play, I think. Uh, and I just want to say the mobile version is very good. Even with those caveats, like it is still a very good way to play that game. And honestly, having like quick save available and all that kind of stuff, it's really helpful. So that exists. I was kind of interested in it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The addendum to that is I have gone back and I've started playing the 3DS version again. Uh, so I'm back. I'm back in that. Me too, actually. When I was on vacation, it's becoming the game I play when I'm visiting home or in the airport, um, which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I got a little bit farther. That's the, like eight is definitely like my slow burn. I like inhaled 11 when we did yeah. our bonus in January. Eight, I'm like very comfortable just like playing whenever I have like complete free time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great. It's a really it's a really relaxing adventure yeah it's good dude that game is really really good it's like yeah i understand why so many people said if you liked 11 you should play 8 next like i get it you know it's it's definitely the most similar yeah they feel very similar yeah i don't know if it's the one i've clicked with the most uh but it's definitely the one i've returned to the most so i think uh i think like you it's gonna be kind of just like an off and on thing until i eventually make my way through the whole thing uh yeah it feels like yeah. a DD adventure in the way that the heroes are kind of detached to what's happening like they're just mm-hmm. sort of like i mean i'm sure they'll have more personal investment later on but like you know yangus and and jessica Jessica has like some more drama going on when she initially joins you. But Yangus is like, he helped me off a bridge. I'm here. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It feels like a very like. He's essentially a hired hand. Like he has no real emotional yeah. investment in what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I am in this story, it's definitely getting more dramatic. But I enjoy the sort of like goofier tone of a. Yeah. The almost like Monty Python vibe to it. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think that's a, that's a good way of describing it. Yeah. Anyway, Dragon Quest Eight, I would recommend any way you can play it. But uh, if you haven't played 11, you should probably play 11. Anyway, that's that's everything. That's everything that uh, we're playing. That's that's not that's not the big stuff we want to talk about in the spooky season segment. Thank you all. Dragon Quest 11 S Banana Mania Journey of the Cursed King. The After Years. (laughs) The After Years. (laughs) That sounds good. I would play the Far Shore. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Dragon Quest 11 Jet Banana Mania Journey of the Cursed King. The After Years. There it is. EP. Yeah. <laughs> now on the 3DS. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome back to Spooky Season 2021. We're here. We're here. I have something to report. Exciting news on my yeah. front in Hit the uh, haunted forest of spooky season. I have now finished Resident Evil Village. Resident That's Evil right. Village, Banana Mania. Yes. <laughs> Don't you want to eat this banana? Eat this! <laughs>
Anyway. Wow. Yeah, taking us in strong. All right. Yeah, let's keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, so last last week, in, in full clown attire, I sat in front of this microphone and I was like, this game isn't scary. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> what I was trying to communicate was if seven was like too much for you, eight is more inviting. It's campier. Mm-hmm. It's not really as horrific. And I would say that still applies to like I think that's true. Yeah. 60% of the game. But it's as if like I sneaked a jalapeno somewhere in your meal and you just get like a burst of of horror in like one section i think and as you kind of alluded to last week no spoilers here uh but more on that later so i'm gonna report and announce there are like four lords like once you get you know the game begins you're uh, the duke is like okay like here's where each of the lords are they each have their own area weirdly is a lot of tales of her eyes which is so funny yeah and every area is is directly like in homage to like some type of horror some type of horror game yeah. they each had their own vibe there's one area that is like specifically peak pure horror like psychological torment terrifying i played through it with very close friends sadie and eric sadie's been on the show for our breath of the wild episode thank god they were with me because i I don't know if i could have done that yeah it was a lot like and it was a lot for all three of us like i i dm them and i was like hey look don't no pressure but i am at this point in the game that i've been warned about do you want to experience it together yeah Uh, and they were both like extremely eager so okay i'm the coward i'm with two brave friends and we were all screaming (laughs) during that section (laughs) like we had fun like we had a good time like it is like and that's the thing i would say most of the game is the type of horror where you laugh after you yell yes. you know like there's that nice up and down and the game is really well paced only critique i have really in terms of pacing is some of the boss fights go on forever <laughs> to the point where they're no longer tense or scary yeah um there's one boss fight in the fourth area that i'm like this is just like a, the 3d pipe screensaver to me at this point <laughs> I feel nothing. that's a really good way I'm of putting just, it <laughs> yeah i'm just like okay like, cool we're doing this again um yeah <laughs> Sure. But I really loved it. I think it's an incredible game. I think it's easily one of the series best. I'm not sure where it like stacks up, but like I think I liked it more than seven as a, as a complete package. You know, I think that like seven deserves a lot of credit for rebooting the franchise, but eight is just like kind of flaunting the entire series in like a way, you know, it feels like a best of compilation. And while I liked certain areas more than others, they all succeed at what they're trying to evoke. And by the end, I like actually cared about what was happening. Like the story is very silly. Yeah. But, you know, maybe just because I was so, you know, emotionally available after screaming and you know, just I was <laughs> so immersed in it. Yeah. But I do think like I do think the story conceptually is very interesting. I think they're going after like without spoiling i think the game is clearly like a lot of the stress of becoming a parent and be like being part of a family like a lot of the villains are like kind of distorted members of a family in some ways you Mm -hmm. know like it doesn't require like too thick of a lens to see that but i i think that the dialogue kind of ruins any genuinely dramatic moment you know because (laughs) you get like either awful quips or like you know but what's funny is that like every time i had like an immediate thought of a plot hole someone like yelled about it in the moment they'd be like what about this 
Yes. <laughs> Which was very funny. But anyway, I, I had a great time. I really loved it. I have now unlocked this sort of like end game stuff. Mercenaries mode, extremely fun. Very arcadey. Has weird like Hades boons when you play it. You can like get abilities as you go through the level. Right. Just wanted to come back and say like, I like that game even more than I did. Uh, I would recommend it to any fan of the series. Yeah. And it's an incredible Halloween experience. So Yeah. I, th- I think what's wonderful about Resident Evil 4 specifically was like it was a, it was going after a different thing and all fans of like it brought in a lot of new fans to Resident Evil me included yes. but it also placated what the like old heads wanted you know from all the original Resident Evil stuff so yeah. I, I feel like that game was like a kind of turning point for the franchise that ended up going in the wrong direction but like was a yes. good foundation for something and 8 to me feels like that all over again it's like you get bits of what made 7 great you get bits of what made 4 great you get bits of what made like 1, 2, and 3 great in, in certain instances as well it really yeah. it really does feel like a best of and it's kind of like it's opened me up to wondering what's next like when they make a Resident Evil 9 like what could that be by comparison because I feel like I feel like 7 was kind of like a let's go back to basics and remind ourselves what Resident Evil is and 8 is like kind of a flex of like yeah we can still make the thing that people say is the best version of this and I found I found it really impressive I probably worth mentioning um, I have not played Mercenaries mode yet but I am in New Game Plus Uh, I've been playing through the game a second time as I alluded to last week uh, that I was probably going to do not only that but I've been streaming it uh, pretty frequently I want to finish that run that New Game Plus run like during October I'm pretty far in already I'm like almost towards the end I'm in like the last half of the game it's been really fun to watch yeah uh, that's all available on our YouTube so you can go check that out um, and I'll continue to do that Uh, I would say go follow our twitch twitch.tv slash into the cast so you can get like notifications when I go live because it's been kind of sporadic my schedule has been like really packed this month Uh, so pretty much just like if I can fit in an hour of Resident Evil on stream I will do that when available uh, with usually no warning to anybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's like, yeah. that's usually how you and I stream just worth noting. Like yeah. between the two of us, like we've been more active now that there's usually something happening every week. Mm-hmm. For me, the concrete schedule this season is every week, usually at the end of the week, like Friday or Saturday, I'll stream a horror game. So that will happen. That's like the concrete thing. But yeah, overall throughout the year, it's usually like whenever we have time and we may or may not give a heads up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I am I am angling to do kind of like a longer, playthrough of something I think probably in the winter um like last winter I did all of Death Stranding on stream which was pretty fun I don't even know if that's it's like technically available on our YouTube I think it's like unlisted uh because it got like a lot of copyright strikes because of all the uh songs in that so I don't know maybe that link exists somewhere anyway uh I want to do something like that again this year so uh that'd be fun yeah for that anyway yeah Resident Evil Village continues to be great I'll say this much about the scary stuff it is even scarier the second time when you know what's going to happen uh the anticipation Uh, of knowing what's coming is almost worse than not knowing I have found yeah Uh, so I the segment that you're talking about I also just played through on stream and like man was it rough it was really difficult that being said it is one of my favorite moments in the game oh yeah it's a, no it's it's a, incredible it's good yeah but i i hate it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh actually so speaking of all that um we have a small announcement to make Brendan and I were once I finished we were messaging back and forth and Brendan had the great idea of recording a kind of spoiler discussion of the game as a Patreon episode so this actually might be something we do going forward where like if you and I want to talk about a game and go into full spoilers but it's not quite a bonus you know and it's a game we maybe already talked about 
we might just start doing that here and there for the Patreon. Because I think as in our last announcement, we kind of communicated that like doing a patron bonus on top of everything else is like a little bit unsustainable for the three of us, given all of our schedules. But I do think that like not treating every Patreon bonus as like a full bonus is maybe our move for now. So that might be something we continue doing, but all that to say, we are absolutely going to record a full spoiler discussion of Resident Evil Village, have some theories about where the series might be going, where we want it to go. So that will be on our Patreon at some point this month for patrons. Yeah. Just a heads up for that. I imagine pretty soon. Our our plan is to record that today. uh, So I'll try to get that edited and up like soon. And I think uh, uh, maybe next week, if, if I were to guess. So the week that this episode is out, that will also be out, hopefully. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. Excited to do that. It's fun. Do you want to move on to uh, our like big tent pole experience of the week? Oh, my God. Yeah, I do. I'm so excited to talk about this. So Metroid Dread is out. It is a game that we're counting for spooky season because it's scary. Uh, but, you know, I think I think it counts. It's not quite on the same level as like in Resident Evil Village in terms of horror, <laughs> but it's definitely going for a suspenseful, tense atmosphere. It's very tense. Yeah. And it's it's a direct sequel to Metroid Fusion, which we discussed uh, with great admiration in our Game Boy Advance episode. That's the game that got me into Metroid. So I feel like I it's as if I played Majora's Mask and that was my only Zelda experience. (laughs) And then the new Zelda was like a direct sequel to Majora's Mask. Yeah, it's not totally different from the rest of the series, but it's definitely going for a unique and darker vibe than other games in the series have gone for. Yeah. So Dread was announced shortly after we recorded that episode, which is further proof that this show is the secret somehow. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) probably, I think, one of my most anticipated games for this year. I streamed my first, like, hour or so with it uh, for the Spooky Season stream, I think, yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. At the time of this recording. I'm almost done. I really wanted to do what you did to me last week where you're like, I finished it. I'm almost done. It's a short game. It's like I've seen eight to ten hours. I'm, like, six hours in. So I have, like... I have like an act to go through, it feels like. I did hear that they don't count boss fights. So like if you die in a boss fight over and over again, like that doesn't count towards the overall time. So a lot of people's uh, total playtime is like landing around 10 hours, but it's probably closer to like 12 or 13. Yeah. The boss fights are difficult, dear listener. They are more on that later. So Dread was marketed as a follow up narratively to Fusion and also very much going for Fusion's vibe. In Metroid Fusion, you're like stalked by a parasitic duplicate of you that has all your powers, uh, knows how to play Metroid (laughs) Um, and is like there are scripted events where they'll show up. Their name is SAX, but it feels like you never really know when they're going to show up. So Dread is out. I think there was a lot of hype for both of us on this because, again, we're both fans of Fusion. And also you were a big fan of Samus Returns on the 3DS, which kind of introduced like a Bloodborne like parry mechanic to yeah. the game. It's by a developer called Machine Steam who came back to do this one as well uh, alongside Nintendo, which I think is probably just an admission on Nintendo's end that like, oh, yeah, this team like figured out not like admitting it like they did something wrong, but like, you know, just like, oh, yeah, this team like figured out Metroid and like where where the 2D Metroid should go uh, from this point on. So they brought them on to make this one and the parry system returns and is fucking sick it's cool i'm yeah. a huge metroid fan i we, we I, I think it's probably worth saying like at the top like i've played all of them at this point i love them dearly uh of the metroidvania genre i would say i have thrown out vania like entirely like i 
every time I try and play a Castlevania game, it just like doesn't work for me. I have played games inspired by Castlevania that I really like. Rogue Legacy, great example. Hollow Knight, I think, is kind of an example of that as well. Yeah. But uh, I I have always been more down the Metroid path than the Castlevania path. Um, so this also for me one of my most anticipated games of the year which i love that we just learned about it like semi-recently too uh so i didn't have to like just sit there and like rock back and forth in a chair uh until it came out at the end of the year that's the thing metroid dread apparently like the name of the game was like teased at the end of metroid prime 3 right this this game has been in development on and off for over a decade close to when metroid fusion came out uh in the early 2000s so yeah it was originally developed as a Nintendo DS title, and then they realized that the console just like couldn't handle some of the stuff that they wanted it to do, and eventually revisited for the Switch because like finally the game was able to like do the things that they wanted, which I have to assume <laughs> are, are some of the Emmy segments, which yeah, we can get yeah. into a little bit. But similar to Fusion, you're being chased by a bunch of like killer hunter robots called Emmys, E M M I. And I I would guess, I would venture a guess that a lot of the hardware necessity of this game falls into the Emmy segment specifically because when you're in an area where the Emmy is roaming, the Emmy is actually roaming the whole area. Like that entire section of the map, that entire section of the world needs to be loaded because you can pause at any point and see where in the map the Emmy is hanging out uh, and how close it is to you. Um, so I think that whole thing has to be rendered or at least like loaded in some way. I don't know anything about game development but like that's my guess that like that makes sense it would be it would be hard for the nintendo ds to load like an entire world of a metroid (laughs) map at once and and account for where one enemy is in that area alongside you i think it was good that it waited for the switch to do what it's doing yeah it also launched alongside the oled switch which is probably worth mentioning as well which neither of us have picked up the oled switch i am like constantly teetering on like potentially trying to get one uh i've been on and off about it the big thing for me and i'll just say that this will be my whole thing about the oled switch or my i guess my two things number one i i would be more interested in picking it up if it felt better to hold but it you know same exact form factor as the switch it just has a bigger screen on it that is very nice don't get me wrong very nice screen very big kickstand very good uh having the land port in the dock is also very nice but i would not want to pick this thing up unless it felt better to hold because the whole reason you get a switch with a better screen is that you're playing in handheld mode more and i like almost never do handheld mode and a lot of that is due to the form factor of the switch and not the like screen performance or kickstand so that's kind of one aspect the other thing is like i i believe personally that there's a switch pro coming uh, eventually bloomberg ran a report recently that said that they talked to I think it was 11 developers who said that they're making games for the Switch Pro so like you know that on top of all their other reporting like it's I imagine it's just getting pushed through the chip shortage and like will show up you know maybe next year at some point so I'm sitting tight Nintendo has a tendency to be like here's a hardware revision of the 3DS also next week we are announcing the new 3DS you know and like shit like that it happens all the time it's been happening the entirety of like Nintendo's life cycle so I'm I might sit tight on that but that said there are moments in Metroid Dread where it's like oh you built this segment with the OLED switch in mind yeah it, it feels yeah. like a launch title in some ways for yeah. whatever the new thing was whether it was meant to be for OLED or for you know the the Loch Ness monster that is the switch pro <laughs> um you know like w- whether or not it's coming or not yeah um, it does feel like this was made to showcase something that that is new but honestly on the regular switch like I think it 
still performs pretty well. Like it runs really well. It gets well, a yeah. little framey in the like there are really beautiful loading screen moments where Samus will be like like you probably seen the gif of Samus in the elevator with the light passing over her. Yeah. It will like hiccup there, but like I don't care. Not in gameplay. It's cool yeah. To look at. Yeah, it totally. does it, it, exactly. So just overall thoughts. This game is incredible. It's really good. I really love it. It's almost so good that I don't have anything interesting to say. <laughs> I will say that you and I had this conversation where it's like sometimes there will be a game that sort of invents a genre, arguably, that has a lot of competition once like the new one comes out. So I think like a good example of this is Dark Souls where like every other game says it's inspired by Dark Souls in some way. Right. There are a million games that want to go blah and have a campfire. Uh, you know, we've talked about that a lot, but there are also, there have been a lot of games that have really elevated that style of design. I think Hollow Knight is a good, good example also of like a Souls-like game. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people really love Neo as well. So when Sekiro was, was like coming out, I, I felt like, I'm like, how will this stack up against like, like, not that it has to be competition, but it's like people have taken that baton and run with it. Yeah. What's going to happen now? And Sekiro was like, you know, just a flex of like, nah, we still, we're still the best here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and this kind of feels similar. I think that like, I totally agree. There are so many Metroidvania games or, you know, games inspired by Metroid games that have, you know, really all that really means is like, okay, you have a game that has sort of like a 2D overworld where like, you know, it, it's a hard thing to define, but you you know it if you played it. I think that, you know, I've seen some discussion about the term Metroidvania used to describe Metroid as kind of being ironic where it's like, <laughs> just call it Metroid. You yeah, know? yeah, um, totally. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think that what really is showcased here is uh, what is different from this one as opposed to other entries in the series that I've played is the sense of movement. It's really good. I'll say this. If you watch the stream I did, you might notice some frustration in my voice. I get lost early on. I get a little bit confused with the controls. They throw a lot at you right away. And in the environments in the first hour, um, there are a lot of closed doors that are clearly unlockable once you get a new power. Mm-hmm. but it's not clear like what the first power you're going to get is. And then when you get the first power, you're like, that's what I get first. I yeah. thought I, I saw so many more fall things. I'm getting like new sunglasses. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I would say just be comfortable with the confusion. Cause what I have discovered is that like, once you kind of get past and I, I wouldn't even say it's weak, it's a good opening. But once you get past that a little bit, especially if you're newer to Metroid and you're not used to like what the experience entails, any, any Metroid veteran will know that confusion is kind of part of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. But but the the game is is like a Rubik's cube quickly solving itself at a certain point. Yeah, I initially found like oh I hate when there's like an invisible block that like isn't marked, but if I shoot it, it disappears. I now have a sixth sense. I, I know where those are. They're almost <laughs> always in a point of interest where it's like if it looks like you can get there, you can probably get there. Totally. So like. A lot of my early, early issues with the game have kind of just quickly dissolved. And it's just, it's impossible to put down. I really love how it plays. The parry mechanic is hard to pull off, but they reward you so heavily for doing it, literally. Like, so the way it works is like a lot of enemies early on will like kind of light up a little bit and... My advice is to parry as if you're playing Smash Brothers, where it's like you kind of want them to hit you a little bit Mm because you're like winding up. So it's like a down B parry. It's harder to do against certain enemies than than others. But like 
I've mostly got it down. And when it's hard, it's supposed to be hard. Like, because again, there are like boss fight moments where there'll be like a cinematic attack that you can parry. That if you do, you get this like God of War level scene of Samus like shoving her blaster in like a monster's mouth. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's so it's cool. Fucking like, sick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all that's really great. I, I think that um, uh, I think that the star of this really is the boss fights. The first boss you fight is such a great like tutorial of all the mechanics you've learned and quickly as you said routinely on the stream like the controls are kind of confusing at first but they quickly come together and you really i think the appeal of a lot of these games especially you know metroid specifically is starting you know like getting more and more powerful and really having this beautiful like harmony between samus herself getting all these new abilities and you as a player just getting better at understanding the world Mm. um and i i've never really felt that more in harmony than in this game. I think that this is like really this like polished to perfection Metroid. Weirdly enough, the one thing that I think falls short are the Emmy sequences. I think that's easily the weakest part of the game for me. I think it really showcases the sense of movement. So for context, just to really establish how it works, as you're exploring these 2D environments, there are rooms that are specifically, like the game, I think, goes out of its way in a good way to really give you all the tools you need and all the knowledge you need to have. Like whenever you meet Adam, your friendly AI, he's like, you have no chance against anyone. You suck, just run. (laughs) I I know when to pick battles. (laughs) <laughs> and when you're in those rooms, you can't do anything to hurt the Emmy robots. You just have to run. Eventually, you'll get a power to cloak. So, like, you'll have these really tense moments where they're, like, scanning you, but they can't see you. Yeah. But they can always hear you. Like, the physical act of navigating around the Emmys is always really fun. The reason I think it falls short for me is because... I was kind of going in, you know, because of the marketing and because of the fact that this is a sequel to Fusion, I was expecting to feel the same dread or terror that I felt with SAX. And I just don't at all, because mm. what ends up kind of happening is like you you go past them, which is it's always fun. It's always a fun section. It's not a bad section. But then you fight a brain, you get, you know. <laughs> you go into like you know super super samus mode and whenever you fight the brain you get like one chance to do like a really powerful shot and it's really cool the perspective changes from like 2d to sort of like behind the shoulder almost yeah like at a dynamic angle and you have to like aim well at the robot you like one kind of big blast that will actually kill them it's exciting and fun to do but the robots whenever they catch you they have the same animation for killing you i don't really find them scary at all and then when i defeat them i don't feel a personal sense of victory i just felt like cool i got the brain and i went into a long hallway so i could aim the blast more easily (laughs) like compared to the boss fights that are so thrilling and demand so much understanding of the game and and give you such a like feeling of personal triumph that you really like you understood how to beat this boss and you did it whereas the emmy ones feel like kind of a paint by numbers like okay i I Mm. defeated the robot like it's it's not bad but it's if it wasn't so much in the marketing i wouldn't consider them the selling point of the game like at all the the thing about the emmy is worth mentioning is that there's seven of them around the map the first one you take out like pretty much immediately it's like the tutorial emmy it's like hey here are robots they're here to kill you um so re- like in actuality there's six roaming the map and there's like one for each of the areas that you visit just about the thing that i appreciate about them at least where i'm at in the game and i'm much earlier than you are but like you know still pretty far i would say i'm like maybe halfway in if i were to guess does that does that sound right to you 
I would say maybe more like a third. Oh, great. I'm glad. I I love to hear that. Okay, great. Anyway, (laughs) I'm like a third of the way in. I've seen a bunch of the Emmys already. I appreciate that each one brings something new to the table. Yeah. I don't want to say too much about that, I think, for spoiler reasons, but each of them have like a different ability attached to them that makes them a little bit scarier than the one that came before. So I do think those initial encounters with a new Emmy is like, I don't know what this thing is capable of. I don't know the area that it's roaming around in yet. And I I find that that bit can be very, very tense. I also appreciate that when an Emmy catches you, you have two instances in which you can parry. It's like death blow. And that is by far the shortest parry window you have. Both of them. Yeah. Horribly difficult to pull off. But anytime you do, it's like pretty much just a miracle and is thrilling and very rewarding. And I really, <laughs> I is. really love those moments. I I kind of disagree. I, I find the Emmys fun, but I, I've heard from people who finish the game that by the time you get to like the sixth and the seventh Emmy, it's like I've done this enough that it's like kind of overstaying its welcome a bit, especially considering you're killing it the same way every single time. Yeah, um, that's kind of how I feel. I think if they changed more and if the way you killed them changed at all, yeah, I would be like, again, there's still they still spice up the level. I still enjoy the encounter. And, the, and like the chase is always organic to that moment, which is really exciting mm-hmm. and really showcases, again, the sense of movement, like somersaulting over them, going in visible you know all that is great i just think again it's a little bit samey after a while you know and i I wish i felt more like compared you know weird comparison but again having like these characters that are stalking you in resident evil village when you're going through lady d's castle and you're like taking out the daughters and then Mm -hmm. her like i felt way more cathartic with that than like robots that look the same but have a different color you know that like and again, it's not bad. It's just not on the same level as the rest of the game. So I, I yeah. did notice it a little or, bit. Or it's not on the same level as SAX, which is specifically what it's alluding to, right? Like the, the SAX yes. sequences are literally why the Emmy are in this game. Yeah. I So so again, where I'm at, I'm enjoying it. I could understand it overstaying its welcome a little bit. The thing that I really appreciate about the Emmy sequences, though, is that they are specifically wandering around one area of the map. Yeah. Um, and when you kill them it frees that area of the Emmy and allows you to explore it fully without like any tension. Cause usually if you're in that area, it's just about sneaking until you get caught and then sprinting as fast as you can to whatever door is open and available to you. I really find that the segments in which like I have killed the Emmy and I get to explore the area that it was once patrolling to be very rewarding. I mean, both in like them literally giving you items and upgrades and things like that. But also that area will change in some way, shape or form, you know, kind of a small change. But, you know, there'll be new enemies and new places. It, it, It changes the state of that area in a way that I find fun. So I'm enjoying that a lot. I'll just say, I mean, I I haven't said this yet. I think it's an incredible game. It's like everything I wanted out of it. They've said in the marketing also that this is the end of Samus's storyline from the first Metroid until now. It's like a five game arc um, and that this is the end of that storyline that started with Metroid. So I'm very interested to see what that means. But all of that said, like this does feel like the culmination of those games. Like this does feel like every lesson that has been learned since the first Metroid up through fusion is being applied in some way here uh and it's all paying off i mean like you said i i think although the map is the most convoluted it has ever looked in a metroid game it does somehow all click into place as you're continuing to play like it it really does work itself out there's even points i don't want to get too into it but there's even points where there's like teleport pads that take you from one area to another area that you've already been or to a new area and things like that and like that just really widens 
the area that you can cover in a way that like should feel daunting and doesn't at all. It all feels like it's pointing you in a direction. And the moments in which you get lost, which, as we've said, inevitable in every Metroid game, it's like part of the experience in a way is being like, I'm the only person here. I'm the only person that can help me through this. Those moments when you get lost are really just about like maneuvering around the map and looking for like the one door that you forgot to go through, which like that's inherent to the genre, I think. And it's happened less frequently than I thought it would in this game which i'm happy with yeah because i think those moments are important and they do need to happen you know yeah like i i I think that that's inherent enough to the genre that like you do need to have those like what the fuck do i do moments but i think that they've at least for me so far um they have they've been few and far between and when they do happen it's like a kind of smack yourself in the head moment when you finally figure it out that like in its own way is rewarding i think so like overall i think this game fucking rules i i my big gripe with it i think it's just like the controls in the beginning are so difficult to kind of wrap your head around um they just throw a lot at you really early on this game is hard man like this game is difficult it is in a way that this to me and it's kind of funny because like you know people have been begging for a new metroid game like literally forever and i i think this is one of those instances where nintendo is just like all right we're gonna give you exactly what the fuck you want you know like we're gonna punish you for asking for this game for so long uh and it pays off it works you know there there is an aspect of this game that is like crushingly difficult i just fought a boss where i died i would say upwards of like nine to ten times before i finally finished it and that was thrilling it was fun it was frustrating at a certain point in the way that like good boss fights can be but the game has pretty generous quick save and like auto save stuff going on so if you die on a boss you're just like right outside the boss room again pretty much i was gonna say that, that is one big pain point in older games where like it does add to the suspense that like you know oh there's only so many save rooms and like if you die you have to Mm -hmm. start over but like that can get frustrating pretty quickly that was one of my big gripes with fusion is like you know it it goes from being horror to just being kind of annoying but uh yeah here like the only thing i've run into is every now and then there's a boss that's like not close to an area where you can replenish your supplies Mm. so like you know you might have to go like uh, on a half tank to fight yeah someone's gonna kick your ass but yeah that's um the ability to start right away really aids the difficulty. And also like everything is, there was one boss that I was up against that I hate with every fiber of my being. <laughs> the boss fight opens with what feels like a WarioWare minigame that you weren't told what to do. And I'm like, <laughs> how do I even like, this is already so abstract. How do I even fight this thing? And uh, I ended up beating it without taking a hit by the end of that encounter. Wow. Like I, I, yeah. The game communicates the rules of it so well, as long as you're really paying attention, especially with the boss fights, usually the cinematic scene beforehand will often give you a clue as to what to do. And usually it's pretty obvious, but like, it's also worth remembering all the power you have in your arsenal, you know, Mm -hmm. like the first boss, for example, I forgot that I could slide and that's a huge Mm. part of that fight. Yeah. And at this, like, and and the boss variety is so great. And and I I think that's probably why the Emmy stands out to me is because like the variety of bosses are, are so wild. Like you have abstract underwater fights. You've got these giant monsters You've got bosses that fight like you in classic, you know, soul style. Like it's so and they're all great. Like they're all even the ones I hate are really fun fights. And like 
you're rewarded so heavily. And and Samus, like, Samus is just so cool in this game too. I don't know what it is. Like she's always cool. Yeah. But her new suit rules. And I feel like if if this might be maybe a trite comparison, but the feeling I get, you know, hearing this game is going to be a sequel to Fusion and expecting that feeling based on the game's marketing, this feels more akin to like Aliens if Fusion is Alien, where like mm. I just feel like a badass. I feel like it's really just a spotlight on how powerful Samus is Yeah. versus like, feeling completely powerless like I was in Fusion. Yeah. I she she's fucking sick of it, you know? Like I Yeah. Yes. I, yes. I think I think <laughs> an interesting thing I just wanted to note two things real quick. Number one, this game is gorgeous. The art direction is unbelievable. It's yeah, very colorful so and good. still feels very Metroid. Um, it's really stunning. And two, uh, to what you're saying, I mean, the animations, like they they focus so heavily on animating Samus in a way that like I, I think portrays a lot of personality through a masked suit. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that is, the, that is the vibe I get from Samus at this point. It's like, this is Metroid 5. She's fucking done with this stuff. She doesn't want to continue doing this. She's like desperate to end this story. Even the first like literal moment of the game is your AI being like, you're not getting enough money to do the thing that you're setting out to do. Like this is not a bounty worth taking on. And she obviously just ignores it. And, you know, the game begins. But I think she just like wants it to be over. And I I can feel that in a lot of her movements. I just I just did a boss fight where. Uh, I don't I don't want to say anything about what I was fighting or how I was fighting it. But like the boss showed up and Samus's pose in that moment was like, oh, oh, this fucker. Like, are you serious? Like, I have to do this again. Like, was so yeah. sick of it. And just like literally while like not even looking at the boss was just charging her beam. I love. Yes, I was so, thinking of that exact moment. Yeah. yeah. It's like Perfect. it's so it's such a powerful way of illustrating just like how over it she is. And because yeah. of that vibe, because of that like apathy she has towards the entire experience, she just comes across like more badass than literally ever before. Uh, and it rules. That was my reason for bringing up aliens. because It feels like, you know, in, in Fusion, the spotlight really is on SAX. It is yeah. on the threat. Yeah. And like Ripley is an alien. She's just like, I'm going to destroy this and, and move on with my life. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And uh, the spotlight is now on the hero instead. But uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, I, I literally, like, like, like I'm a 13-year-old boy. Like, during the boss fights, I'm like, cool. Like, I'm yeah, like to myself. Yeah. It's like, you know, cool. Hell yeah. She rules. <laughs> it, it instills that feeling, which I think is kind of, like, different from what I expected, given the game is called Dread. I truly don't really feel Dread. I just feel cool. Which, yeah. you know, Metroid Cool isn't as good of a title, but <laughs> I, I love this game. I think it's, it's a great get, title for this episode, though. Oh, that's yeah, that is it. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be a classic. I think that like when you look at the series, I don't know if it's the gateway. I don't know if this is like the one you should start with. That's the, that's the thing I was about to bring up. I don't yeah. think so. I don't think it is either. Yeah, I, I've, I've been talking to uh, Brendan, if you're out there. Hello. Uh, I've been talking to a, a friend of ours, Brendan, uh, who is playing this as his first Metroid game. And I, in the back of my head, when he texted me that, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> like I just I have this. Yeah. I, I That's where the dread comes from, is somebody telling you that it's their first Metroid game. <laughs> because honestly, like, I think there are better ones to start with. I think this is fine. This is a fine one to start with because I, it's really like. There's so much quality of life stuff in here that is not available in the other ones that like it. It's definitely uh, easier in some ways to get into than others. And, and it might make going back to other ones harder. But also, if you've played the other ones, you'll appreciate the quality of life stuff even more. For example, every you know, so you already mentioned the rooms where you can go save and talk to Adam, your A.I., 
there are map rooms and there are also just like regular ass save rooms. And at all of them, you can save. You can save at any of those rooms. And that by itself is uh, amazing. It just it just like literally triples the amount of places that you can save the game, which is a huge deal in a game like this, because you will you will die while exploring a bunch and you will get sent back to a save room. And having that save room be kind of anywhere is very helpful. In that in, in that regard, um, j- that's just one of many wonderful quality of life things. I also just think like the movement speed, the way you slide and move and, and run around and jump through the air and like attach to walls and things like that just feels more fluid and better than it ever has. And it really, to me, feels like the next step up from Samus Returns, which like was the best feeling Metroid game, I think, from like a mechanic standpoint, but was so hampered by the 3DS controls. Like it was so hard to play that game because it was on the 3DS. You could tell that it was like overflowing with great ideas, but just like couldn't do it by way of the console that it was strapped to. Um, And this to me feels like, oh, we finally have accomplished the thing that we were trying to do in that game. Uh, And it's very rewarding. I I love the parry system so much. I love it so, so much. It's really fun. And I think um, the trade off is like they have all these quality of life stuff, but then they're like, okay, cool. Now the game's going to be three times as hard. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. we, it, it kind of feels like <laughs> Sekiro, where Sekiro was also much more generous with save points and checkpoints and, and a little bit more readable as a game. Mm-hmm. But they're like, cool, now we're going to quadruple the difficulty. That we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my problem with saying like this is maybe not the one to start with is I don't know what I can point you to, really. Like, I, I don't. That's the thing. Like I to me, I, I said this on the Game Boy Advance episode and I'll say this again. I think Zero Mission is the starting point. I That's think what if, I was going to say. Yeah. If you want to start a Metroid game or if you want to start any Metroid game or the franchise at all, like Zero Mission is both the first. It's a remake of the first one. So you're getting the story of the first one. And it's on the Game Boy Advance uh, using the engine that Fusion was made in and like looks great and plays great and is really good. I think that that game is wonderful. But unfortunately, it's unavailable. Fusion also unavailable. There's no way to play it outside of emulating or getting a Game Boy Advance and playing that game or buying a Wii U and getting it off of the eShop, which is like bananas. (laughs) Um, So really, the only thing that I can point you to and say, like, this is the game I recommend playing is Super Metroid, which is available on the Nintendo Switch Online uh, service, which like is a good one to start with. It's it that was a soft reboot of the franchise in a way um, and brought a lot of people into the fold and is like a pretty good Metroid game. I don't hold it to the same standard. I think that a lot of people do. I found that game much more frustrating than I did Fusion or Zero Mission or any of the prime games for that matter as well. But a lot of people like it, uh, and that's the only one I can point to that like is legally available through a Nintendo service right now that you can go play uh, if you're interested in these games, which is a little bit frustrating. I will say, though, looking at this game and what it's accomplishing, it does feel like the swan song for this kind of Metroid game. You know, at a certain point while playing and having that realization, I was like, but what's next? Like, I'm so excited to see what's next. And like. The the stupid thing is like they answered that question on the fucking GameCube. Like they, we already know what's next. It's Metroid Prime. Like Metroid Prime like was the evolution of that franchise, and they continued to do the two D ones, which are great. Don't get me wrong, I love them. I think they're awesome. But like Metroid Prime is the future of this franchise, and Metroid Prime Four is in development and is going to come out. So like we already know what the answer is, which is kind of silly. You know, this is just like we're making a best in class two D Metroid game, and then just continuing the Prime thing, which uh, I did learn over the weekend that uh the metroid prime games fit in between one and two in the story in case you were wondering it is all canon i didn't realize this they're all in continuity with one another all the prime games 
including Metroid Prime Hunters for Nintendo DS and Metroid Prime Federation Force for Nintendo 3DS all take place between Metroids 1 and 2 Samus Returns, um, which is bizarre. But anyway, I'm just really excited for more Metroid. Like, I'm glad that Nintendo is like putting a focus on this franchise again. I'm glad Dread is out and is as good as I think we wanted it to be. I'm not willing to like place it anywhere in the franchise yet, but I mean, I'm feeling real good about this one, especially compared to like it's better than Samus Returns. I like it more than Super Metroid. I think I like it more than Zero Mission at this point. And the question is like, does it stand up to fusion to me? That's like the the lingering question, which will, I think, depend on how it ends. But I also love the Prime games. Like, I love those games so much. And I'm so excited to see a renewed focus in Metroid from Nintendo because I think that these games are great. And I'm hoping that 4 kind of sticks the landing as well as Dread has so far. Yeah, I am too. I mean, as a new fan of the series, it's kind of an exciting time. I feel like I chose a good time to get into it. So I wasn't angrily waiting for a decade. But I feel like Mother 3 and Metroid, I'm like, I'm going to get into now in 2021. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, not wait forever for nothing. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I, I basically echo all your thoughts. Regards to how it compares to Fusion, I feel like they're already very different experiences. Though I will say where I am in the game, I am seeing more of, oh, this is a sequel to Fusion. So like I'm I'm actually very much enjoying and that's all I'll say. It also begins with a fusion recap. Yeah. Which is cool, but it made me even more angry that fusion isn't just for sale in the e-store. You yeah, know? It's like, shocking. Yeah. It's if you're gonna do a last time on Metroid, which was in the Game Boy Advance era, yeah. come on, give us a better way to catch up, you know? It's yeah, it's unbelievable. It's really frustrating. Cause I mean the franchise is so fucking good and it's been good for so long that not a like to say that the story is ending and not let people see the beginning of it is bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. anyway yeah. Uh, Metroid Dread is good. Like really, really good. Uh, I imagine we'll talk I'll about it again. I'll probably finish it tonight. Yeah. I'll, I'll be done with it before the week is out. I'm sure before we record next, I'm sure I'll be done with it. That's the thing too. I, I love that. It's like all the Metro games are, are fairly concise that they're yeah. usually like around 10 hours. And it, it just makes that makes it easy just to replay it. Like I already want to replay this game and I'm not done. Yeah. So like, that's great. I, I wonder that. if there'll be a reason to, I, I, I think, I think zero mission had like a new game plus adjacent thing. I don't remember what it was, um, but I, w- I wonder if there's like any kind of post game thing going on here. Maybe not, but that'd be interesting. I, uh, I really am hoping that both we get game boy and game boy advance stuff on Nintendo switch online at some point. It seems like that's not in the cards anytime soon, considering we're still waiting on information about the N64 and Genesis stuff that they recently <laughs> said they're adding. <laughs> I don't think that's happening anytime soon, but I, I would really love to see that show up. I think that'd be really nice. I'm also wondering yeah, totally a long rumored thing has been ports of the Metroid prime trilogy to switch. And like, we've been hearing about it for like years at this point. It just like seemed like an inevitability. And then they announced Metroid prime four and it was like, okay, like now is really the time to do it. If you're making a fourth one, I'm wondering if they're just like, if it's done and they're holding on to it until four, like gets closer and has a release date and whatever as a way to lead up or now that we've seen how Dread has come out, maybe they just won't do a Metroid Prime trilogy on Switch and you'll just have to go get a Nintendo Wii and play that trilogy <laughs> for some fucking reason. Um, and that's what that's Nintendo's like optimal path for you uh, is that you go get a Wii secondhand and don't give Nintendo any money. I don't know why they would want that. But uh, I also heard a rumor recently, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, that uh, they're not doing a Metroid Prime trilogy. They're just remastering the first one which again feels like nonsense to me. As great as that yeah. game is, don't get me wrong, I love it. I think it's incredible. 
what about two and three? <laughs> like you're making a fourth game and you're only going to give people the first one. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like right now on the switch, you can only play Metroid three <laughs> and five. <laughs> It's the machete order. They're very serious about it. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. You got to really experience the true, the true power of the series. It's so silly. Venom man. Menace first, then play Metroid <laughs> Dread. <laughs> I don't know. But all that said, I mean, if you, like me, have been playing Metroid your whole life, Dread is kind of exactly what you've always wanted. And uh, that's pretty cool, man. And if you're like me and you played uh, Fusion for the first time in 2021 and, and were surprised that it immediately got a sequel, you'll also have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, All it's right. incredible. We'll, we'll talk about it again. All right, that's it for Spooky Season. Thank you. Well, for this week. For this week, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're ending early, not <laughs> halfway through the month. Christmas time is now. No. Uh, do you want to wrap up, though? Yeah, let's wrap up. Cool. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Into the Cast.online is like our hub to everything, so it has all the ways you can listen to the show. It has our YouTube and our Twitch. We've been more active there, obviously. Uh, highly recommend Brendan's New Game Plus Village playthrough. It's been great. I'll be continuing my spooky season streams. I'm going to do Dead Space next, which I'm very excited to finally play. And uh, that's all I got. That's it. Thank you so much. We just appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to make this show. Thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. We're going to, uh, in real time, as of the time of this recording, Steve and I are going to go take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to record our uh, Resident Evil spoiler episode. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm so hungry, too. I want to go to the Duke's kitchen. I Okay, just real quick. One last thing on Village. I love that the Duke just makes you regular food. It's not like haunted. Like I expect it yeah. to be like a bat burger or something. Yeah. He's like, no, we're just going to eat rice pilaf yeah. from the fish you caught in like a haunted bathtub. It's great. Cool. Yeah. Sick. What a good video yeah. game. Love the Duke. Yeah. Love the Duke. All right. Hey, goodbye. Good. My name is Brendan Bigley. Bye. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your October. Yes. Keep it spooky. Bye. Bye. <laughs>